in Scary Parish. It's Sunday, December 9, 2018. Welcome back to the Ion College Basketball Podcast. I got Matt Norlander here with me. And special shouts to uh, those of you who have already subscribed to the podcast via Apple Podcasts. That's the best way, as I've told you for a while now, to make sure you get the latest episodes sent straight to your phone ASAP. And it's also the best way to, to keep widening our audience, which has really grown over the past year. So if you subscribed, thank you. And if you haven't subscribed yet, please go do so. It only takes a few seconds. And we'd obviously appreciate a nice rating, five stars, and positive comments. Again, you can subscribe via Apple Podcast. We are recording this right now at 7.24 p.m. Eastern on Sunday night. So it's a busy weekend. It's pretty much at this point in the books. And the biggest game was number one, Gonzaga, against number seven, Tennessee, or the teams that were ranked number two and number four in Sunday morning's top 25 and one. Fun game. Back and forth affair. UT's Admiral Schofield was awesome. Made a three-pointer with 80 seconds left. Then another with 22.1 seconds left. The first one put Tennessee up 73-71. Second one put Tennessee up 76-73. Zach Norvell and Rui Hachimura both missed three-pointers in the final 10 seconds. And Gonzaga actually didn't have a field goal in the final 4-15. So Tennessee wins it 76-73, which means the top four of the top 25 and one on Monday morning will be Kansas, Tennessee, Gonzaga, Duke, in that order. Number one, Kansas. Number two, Tennessee. Number three, Gonzaga. Number four, Duke. And what's wild is that each of those teams has already played at least one of the others. Kansas has played and beaten Tennessee. Tennessee has lost to Kansas but beaten Gonzaga. Gonzaga has beaten Duke but lost to Tennessee, and Duke has obviously lost to Gonzaga. So the order of the top four is pretty clear-cut to me. Norlander, you wrote about this game. You tweeted uh, the link to it. People can find that at Matt Norlander on Twitter. Please share your thoughts on the Vols 76-73 win over previously unbeaten Gonzaga. I got a few, but the big one, I think you you look at this game, Parrish, and its outcome and the way that Tennessee played. And Tennessee uh, is sitting at the big boy table with the three teams you just mentioned. And I would also toss in Virginia. I would toss in Nevada, which skirted by Grand Canyon in a little bit of a toughie, removed uh, less than 20, 48 hours from its, its win lately on Friday night. Uh, put those two teams there. And I'm missing on someone else here. Who's the other one? Virginia, Nevada, Tennessee. M- Michigan. There we go. Bada bang. No slight to the Wolverines. I knew I was I was missing one. That Before we get to the game. Uh, Th- those are the eight teams, by the way. And I, I think those are the eight teams that should be in everybody's top eight right now. Uh, well, that's seven, I believe. What, what? Okay, then that's what I mean. That's the top. <laughs> that's what the top seven should be right. Now. Listen, fu- in, in some order. Yeah, uh, math fun with Parrish is uh, a semi-repeating <laughs> uh, 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 segment on the podcast, and I'm always glad to do it here. Those, yeah, to me, that is um, what I wrote in the column. Is that's the that's the elite tier right now. Some of the teams could fall out. Other teams will surely probably hop in in the near future, or maybe later on in the season. But right now. If you want to establish the elite tier as the national championship front runners, true contenders, those are the seven. Tennessee is unequivocally there. And for, you might have even thought some listeners, Paris, you yourself, anyone might have had Tennessee in there from the get-go. But the point is, when Tennessee beats Gonzaga on a neutral and in the style that it did, it wasn't just that Admiral Schofield was freaking awesome. Okay, that was fantastic. Tennessee also won uh, by getting pushed a little bit with way, the way that Gonzaga was playing, and then it flipped it, as you mentioned, huge. Not a field goal in the final four-plus minutes of regulation for Gonzaga. I, I don't know if they will have a stretch like that again this season where they don't have a field goal, particularly near the end of a game. It was extremely impressive. So my that's the big takeaway is if you thought – 
and this would have been a little bit foolish to begin with, but if you thought, okay, Tennessee, yeah, they got some dudes. They won the SEC last year. They're ranked top 10 preseason. Like, they're a good team, but I'm just not going to put them right there alongside a Gonzaga or a Duke or, hey, Michigan's been awesome. I'm not going to even think they're there. To me, there's really not a lot of basis in that argument anymore. Their only loss, their only loss is against Kansas on a neutral, and in that game, a similar situation played out. Grant Williams fouled out with about a minute and a half to go. Tennessee goes on to lose in overtime. Grant Williams fouls out in this game against Gonzaga, and Schofield steps up big. They're looking really, really good. I understand they're not awesome every single year. I understand they don't have this uh, future lottery pick, let alone like first-round pick. Like Schofield's awesome, but I don't think Tennessee has one first-round draft pick on this roster. Uh, but that shouldn't matter. This is a legit, real big-boy team, and they are elite. They should be in your top five. I'm glad they are. In fact, they're in your top four. Tennessee is the best of the SEC and one of the best teams in the nation. Uh, you mentioned Schofield. He uh, played 30 minutes, 12 of 22 from the field, 6 of 10 from three-point range, finishes with 30 points, had 25 of them in the second half. And I do think he'll have a, an NBA opportunity, but you're exactly right. There is not an obvious first-round draft pick on this team. And there is not a former top 100 high school prospect on this team. And we've talked about this before, but the way Rick Barnes beat, uh, built this conference championship team, remember they shared it with Auburn last season, uh, is very, very unconventional. And by the way, it's not the way I would advise a Power 5 coach to build a, a team that he wants to build a championship, but there, there cannot be many teams in, in modern history that have won a Power 5 regular season title without a zero without a single top 100 high school uh, prospect on the roster and yet Tennessee did that last season and they look like they could be on their way to doing it again uh, this season it is a very good college basketball team tough um, tenacious will not beat themselves and I love the quote from Schofield afterwards I don't know if you saw his post-game interview but he said his goal uh, for this season wasn't to go out and score 30 points against the number one team in the country or lead the team in points per game or rebounding per game. He said, I want to be Coach Barnes' favorite player. That's why I came back to school. I want to be my coach's favorite player. And I've never heard a player put it exactly that way. Like, I, I'm not really worried about the individual statistics as long as I'm my favorite, as long as I'm my coach's favorite player. And I thought that was a pretty interesting quote. Yeah, I actually I love that quote. There is a um, there is an assertiveness <laughs> and a confidence to Admiral Schofield. Clearly, a top ten name in college basketball, and college basketball is never short on incredible names. But rank Admiral Schofield up there with uh, among the best of them. And for him to show up the way that he did, some of those shots were uh, insane. The three that banked in that gave him the lead was a great bad shot. And then the three that actually gave him the lead, uh, the, that clinched it, I should say, was uh, everyone knew it was going to him. And I was actually a little surprised by Gonzaga's defense on that uh, GP overall. You're right. Let me just drop a few things at your feet here and you pick up what you will. Um, would not advise any coach at a, at a major at a major conference in a major conference at a major program to uh, set up the roster in this kind of way because you can win, but to get to the level where Tennessee is at right now, very hard to do. It's why you so seldom see um, schools at that level uh, have rosters like this to begin with, and then you you look up and they're a top five team uh, in the country. So you obviously want to try and recruit the best players that you can, but sometimes when you fall into this. 
you coach, you cultivate, you do do certain things, and you look up and, and it's it you've you've done good, perhaps a little bit unexpectedly, and Tennessee right now is in a great situation. I don't, I truly don't know. While Rick Barnes would love to have super talented players and one and doneers, and but I don't know if Rick Barnes would trade his situation with anyone in America. And we don't have to go too big of a deep dive on this, but just a related thought, like. After a run in which, you know, it was good for Barnes at Texas, he was awesome. And you know what? It was time for a split there. We mentioned Shock on the previous podcast. You look up right now, and Rick Barnes' professional situation is just – it's a, it's, a, it's a bit better, you can say fairly, than Shock is at Texas, even though Shock has done better on the recruiting trail. It just hasn't produced wins at that point. So I am curious as to how Texas fans just feel a bit overall right now. I think they're happy with the split. Maybe not even that surprised that Tennessee has been good under Barnes, but maybe a little bit surprised that they've been this good. And one last thought, and then I'll toss it back to you. You know, this right, my column was about Tennessee. I think the win was about Tennessee. But Gonzaga, the, again, like I, the, I do not diminish them almost at all. Like, yeah, the loss sucks, but you're you don't have two of your top seven players, maybe two of your top six, because Geno Crandall is going to be out a little bit while longer, and then Killian Tilly, like arguably a top two guy on that roster. So this, this to me isn't really stepping Gonzaga back all that far, and they've got a tough roadie against UNC next week. Parish, maybe they drop that, but but in general, I like what you did with your rankings in terms of not really dropping Gonzaga down too far because they had some awesome moments tonight. This was, I think, the best. Game game of the season so far. Zach Norvell Jr. had some tremendous shots. Rui Hachimura played well. Brandon Clark had maybe the best block I've seen in college basketball this season, and we've seen a couple Woo! of them. Dude. That was tough. Dude, we've seen a couple of amazing ones, and that was fantastic. So this was a great win for Tennessee. They crawled back from a nine-point deficit, though. That This is just an awesome, awesome game. I think no less of Gonzaga whatsoever in this defeat. Well, uh, you know, I, I did. first off, I'm never going to punish teams, or I should I'm rarely – uh, maybe never going to punish a team for losing a close game uh, to a similarly ranked team. I might flip flop them, which is what I had to do here. Um, but I wasn't going to drop Gonzaga far because I didn't think there was far to drop them. Like, I don't know how you have them ahead of Tennessee after Tennessee just beats them on a neutral court. And Tennessee's lone loss, as you pointed out, is a single digit overtime loss to Kansas on a neutral court, which is the team I already had number one. But then I also don't know how you drop them below Duke because, um, you know, Gonzaga's only loss now is a, 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 you know, a single possession loss in the final minute to the team I now have ranked number two, and they've got a neutral court win over Duke. So, you know, that that, that top four, you know, that, that comes together, together pretty cleanly for me. Kansas won undefeated uh, with, you know, uh, multiple uh, quality wins. They've got the Tennessee win and the Michigan State win. And then you go Tennessee because the lone loss is to Kansas. And then you go Gonzaga because the lone loss is to Tennessee. And then you go Duke because the lone loss is to, to Gonzaga. You mentioned uh, Texas fans. Um, it is interesting. And you and I are both big fans of Shaka Smart. I would not uh, even consider, because somebody asked me this on Twitter, like actually today, again, is Shaka Smart in any trouble at Texas? The answer to that question is no, he's not in any trouble, nor do I think he, he should be. But it is undeniable that – Rick's run at Texas is was better than what Shaq has been able to do so far. And Rick's run at his new job, which is a much harder job than the Texas job, is better than what Shaq has been able to do so far at, at Texas. And I, I don't know if that bothers Texas fans. They might just be worried about, you know, football recruiting right now. But it is it is something that you noticed and it's something I noticed, and I bet we're not the only two people who noticed it. 
Yeah, it's 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 interesting when sometimes these situations crop up, not just in college sports, just in general, where a team and a coach part ways, and that coach lands at a at a different spot, maybe a comparable spot, and you just you just kind of keep an eye on it, and uh, not to make the all too lazy and all too common refrain about comparing sports things with uh, relationships, but it's almost like just tracking tracking the X on social media or Facebook kind of deal. You just want to see how uh, how that goes down there. So I would not get. I don't want to completely. Uh, do a coda on the previous pod with Shaka, but I give it a little more time. I, I, I definitely understand why Texas fans are frustrated, but for Barnes, this is, you know what? A, a great, um, I, I think it's fair to call it the winter of his career because this is the final stage. I don't think he'll ever coach any other school than where he's at with Tennessee, and, and this season alone has, uh, as you would think, guaranteed at least a four-year extension on what on his tenure there with the Vols. So it's it's been really impressive, and the one thing that was kind of ringing in my head as I was watching this game this afternoon on what was a really fun Sunday, a, a, a cool thing for college troops, like I understand the NFL rightfully is dominating the day as it should. It's a Sunday in December, and there were some insane endings with Miami beating New England, and Kansas City and Patrick Mahomes just looks like a completely different creature. But the best game that I watched was Tennessee-Gonzaga. And as I was watching this and seeing Tennessee do all this, I thought about what Barnes said to me last season because I did a story on um, teams that were unranked in the preseason, but there were like seven of them that were really, really good and ranked come January or whatnot. And Barnes said, listen, I, I take no stock in the opinion, and this is you know, no offense to you, no offense to the coaches in either polls, but you know, it's, some of it just feels like such guesswork. And I didn't think we'd be this good and talk to me in a year. I don't know how good we're going to be, but if we can bring back most of our guys, I like our team, but I, I don't know. Like maybe we won't, we won't be quite as good next season. So Barnes has a certain, uh, I think, humble honesty to him when it comes to this kind of stuff. And I even think if you try to give him to tell you the 100% truth, like is your team right now, is it one of the five best teams? We think it is. He might even say, I don't know. Like let's just talk in February. Regardless, he and that staff have done an awesome job. And the one thing that I think more people are starting to understand, but you really get a sense of it when you see Tennessee play in person, it is a big, athletic, brawny team. Like these, it just it is from a pure physical standpoint, man to man, pound for pound kind of deal. It just does not look like fun having to go against these guys, and I think that helps them against almost every single opponent they play. And I do think it played a not so insignificant factor against Gonzaga on Sunday. There's no question. They're they're athletic. They're strong. They're old, um, and and all of that is 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 tough to deal with. And I think tough to deal with for anybody. I imagine they could get into a game with a certain team, maybe like Duke, because Duke is the team best equipped to just overwhelm you with NBA talent. And perhaps that is the thing that prevents them from winning a national championship. I don't know. But in terms of just having a bunch of really good college players who fit together really well. Um, you know, Tennessee is undeniably, uh, undeniably that. And, you know, you mentioned Tennessee last season being unranked in the preseason before winning an S a share of the SEC title. They weren't just unranked. They were way unranked. They were picked 13th in the preseason SEC poll last season. Yeah. 13th. And it wasn't crazy to pick them 13th based on all of the things you consider when you're ranking teams in the preseason or projecting teams in the preseason. They were not very good the year before. They didn't enroll difference makers. There was no reason to think they were going to go from what they were to to, to what they became, um, but they did. And, man, you know, they have not skipped a beat, you know, carrying it over into – into this season they look uh, they look like the best team in the SEC by the way that whole Tennessee doesn't have a top 100 prospect on the roster thing will change next season because 
um, in the early signing period, they got a letter of intent from Josiah James, who is a uh, a six six combo guard. He's a five star prospect, top fifteen in the country according to twenty four seven Sports. So not only has Rick been able to win with an unco- at at this level with an unconventional roster, it has also helped him uh, recruit because I believe they beat the big boys for um, for for jo- Josiah James, and now uh, they'll have a you know they'll have at least one five star prospect on. On next season's roster. Meantime, in the SEC, Kentucky won, um, had won seven consecutive games. You know, after its season-opening embarrassing blowout um, at the hands of Duke, but all seven of those games were at Rupp Arena and against you know completely outclassed opponents. So I was never sure how much we actually learned, and that's among the reasons uh, Saturday's game against Seton Hall at Madison Square Garden was interesting because. You know, it doubled as UK's first game away from Rupp Arena and its first game against a top 75 opponent since the Duke game. As you probably know, Kentucky lost. Miles Powell hit two three-pointers in the final 75 seconds of regulation to give Seton Hall a 70-67 lead with 1.5 seconds left. Then Kelvin Johnson sinks a half-court shot at the buzzer, sends it to OT. Then Seton Hall takes a 74-70 lead early in the extra period. Then Kentucky bounces back, takes the lead. Then Miles Kell... Step back three-pointer, 9.5 seconds left. Seton Hall takes an 84-83 lead. Then Kelton Johnson missed a bad shot at the buzzer. The final score was Seton Hall 84, Kentucky 83. So now John Calipari's team, uh, 0-2 against top 75 Kempom teams, 0-2 away from Rupp Arena. I dropped them completely out of the top 25 and one Norlander. Was I right to do it? Yeah, and I want to get to Kansas in a little bit here, but you know Kansas has been a frustrating team, but it's still undefeated and now number one uh, in your rankings, and it's got roster issues in general. But the point, the the correlation and the parallel I'm trying to make here is like Kansas has probably played. uh, It's had some nice moments, but I I bet you'd say it's like at a B minus level, start to finish, uh, or start to now, I should say, Um, and Kentucky. Like, I don't think it's been brutal, but maybe C+. Plus. And the difference here, uh, you know, the opponents aren't exactly the same. The schedules aren't exactly the same. Kansas has actually been more difficult than, than Kentucky's to this point. Um, but Kentucky's got two losses to the two best teams. This was, a, by the way, Saturday, just a good weekend overall in college hoops. Like, a lot of fun. This game was was lively at the Garden. Credit to Seton Hall for getting the win. Just, just on like I don't know what to make of that team. They, they, they beat Miami. They've, you know, they've lost to some quality opponents. Getting this win, like maybe this is a trump card down the road. Maybe they're one of the true like on the fence bubble teams when we get to the second week of March and we've come to find out that beating Kentucky, you just never know, Parrish. Like this could wind up being so much more valuable than we think. But with Kentucky itself. Got to drop him out. I, I still do like this team. And, like, that Keldon Johnson shot was absurd. Like, it was an awesome, awesome moment in the middle of Saturday. But they're just not getting enough. And bizarrely, and I'll have something that's a little bit more of a deeper dive on this in the court report on Wednesday. They are not good from three as we are expecting. And the Seton Hall game put a highlight on this. Like, Miles Powell was out of his mind, but still – they're just—they're not defending the three-point line well. So it's both sides of the court that is dictating how uh, how lackluster overall Kentucky has been, which has been a surprise. I mean, Seton Hall was 11 of 26, and a lot of that was Powell, who hit six of them by himself. 
And if you were to take away a big like Powell and Schofield, they like balled out for the teams and and uh, and wound up hitting six threes apiece and did so well in doing so. It was kind of a, a common threat between the days, but um, it was just more than him. I was I was surprised to see Seton Hall get what it wanted there, even if a couple of those Powell threes were ridiculous. But uh, Kentucky doesn't really have much of a claim to being ranked right now. I think Kentucky fans would agree to that. Um, I I think they'll still be good, but like. Paris, they're not even they're not even in Tennessee's league right now. Like coming into the season, we thought Auburn, Tennessee, Kentucky, and cl- at this point, UK is a distant third to the other two. Maybe it changes in two three weeks time, but we're on the same page that you know it's something is still very much amiss in Lexington. Well, you mentioned Seton Hall, and listen, they might turn out to be good. I, I don't know, but I I don't project them that way. And keep in mind, they'd already lost by twenty three points to Nebraska, already lost by two points at home to St. Louis. And that's a, a, a St. Louis team that had already lost to Pitt and that has lost to Pitt and Southern Illinois. Uh, they lost a home game to, to Louisville. So, again, they might be good, but they haven't been good so far this season, and yet they still beat Kentucky um, 84-83. Uh, you're right. There are a lot of issues with Kentucky right now, three-point shooting and guarding the three-point line both um, you know, among them. They're shooting 34% um, from, from three-point range. Um, on the season, but they're allowing their opponents to shoot 40% from three-point range, which ranks 334th nationally. So they've got to clean that up. But the other issue here, I mean, let's just go back to any podcast we recorded in the preseason. Um, You know, every time we would discuss Kentucky and why we thought Kentucky should definitely be in the top two of everybody's rankings, and perhaps number one, it was because they've got, you know, four or five, they're enrolling four five-star freshmen, and they're bringing back three non-freshmen who have all averaged more than nine points per game at the Division One level. Well, it's a little bit like what we've said about Villanova. You know, part of the reason you thought Villanova was going to be a top 10 team is because they were enrolling a top 10 recruiting class. But what happens when you get nothing from the recruiting class? Then maybe you're not a top 10 team. Uh, Kentucky sort of in the same boat here. Three of the four five-star freshmen are Emmanuel Quickly, E.J. Montgomery, and Ashton Hagens. Quickly's averaging 7.1 points and 24.9 minutes per game shooting 28.6% from three. Montgomery's averaging 6.1 points and 18.9 minutes per game, just a guy. And Hagens is averaging 3.7 points and 19.4 minutes per game, shooting 14.3% from three, just a guy. The only five-star freshman playing at a high level is Kelton Johnson, who's averaging a team-high 15.2 points, 6.0 rebounds, 31.9 minutes per game. And as for the non-freshman, uh, Reed Travis has been good, uh, but Quaddy Green... He's had his minutes cut. Mm-hmm. He averaged 25.6 minutes per game last season. He's only averaging 17.8 minutes per game this season. And P.J. Washington was good against Seton Hall, but he's been held to single-digit points in five of U.K.'s nine games. So when your freshman class, really only one of the guys is playing, like I mean, compare what the Kentucky freshmen are doing to what the Duke freshmen are doing. And then you can start to understand the gap between Duke and Kentucky. And, you know, when Quade Green has been – not as good as he was last season, and P.J. Washington has been inconsistent at at the very least, uh, you know, Kentucky's got some stuff to figure out. They do. Um, you highlight uh, – so with with everything that you just mentioned, and maybe Kentucky fans should hit the rewind button on the pod uh, on their app and just kind of really get a sense of what's happening. Like with, uh, with Quade, they expected his minutes to go back. Like this was an expectation, but it was in exchange for Hagens and quickly – being, you know, 
two of the top 20 freshmen in America, and neither of them are that at this point uh, by any means. So I think the issue compounds itself when, like, PJ just has not been nearly as good. Nick Richards, just not not as good as, as, as they expect him to be. Cal got interviewed going into half by by our bud Andy Katz, and I'm going to paraphrase here. Uh, at that point in the game, you know, he's like, "Listen, if this is what we are defensively, I, like I'm good with it. I'll I'll live with this for sure. And then let's just see if we can work on on fixing our offense overall." I, I'm just not on the same page with Cal overall. There, like Kentucky's not, uh, they're not brutal defensively by any means, and their, and their defense, it, it's it's not set up to be something that I think will let them down. But what's weird is the team has actually been, if you and I've, I've watched Kentucky against. Duke. I saw them against Greensboro, and I saw their game against North Dakota. I've saw three or four games. I've seen them in Seton Hall. Like the ones that I've watched, like the offense has still been a bit better overall than what the defense has provided. And I think a lot of that's because, frankly, they've been able to clean up some garbage around the tin against some inferior opponents. So maybe what Cal and his staff are, are analyzing really is. Is more true than what the numbers are presenting right now. But if you just looked at, at at the pure results, the offense has actually been better than the defense, and I think that's that's problematic because they're still like they're still not where they should be on either end of the floor. And it, and if someone's going to have to start hitting threes, they will they will not be long for the tournament and not be long for the top of the SEC if it's still going to be this. If you're if you're getting twenty seven percent from Tyler Hero from deep. If you're getting 32% from Keldon Johnson, who's got, I think, some decent ability to do so, but and then quickly and Hagens, who haven't been factors from deep, that's got to change in a hurry. So we're on the same page uh, with Kentucky, and for whatever it's worth, um, you did you said I, I bet you Kentucky fans wouldn't disagree with you having them unranked. I don't think, and this is very rare um, for Kentucky fans. I, I don't think I got a single complaint from any of them on on Twitter, like when I did not rank Kentucky on Sunday morning. Indiana fans are, are up in arms because I didn't have the Hoosiers uh, in Sunday morning's top 25 and one. I'll probably get them there on Monday. They'll replace Arizona, which lost on Sunday afternoon uh, down at Alabama. But Kentucky fans were like, you know, when I suggested on Saturday night that I'd probably drop Kentucky completely out. Don't be surprised if I do. Uh, there was like, you you should like oh, no complaints here. And yeah. so Kentucky fans seem to. Either know what this team is, or they're so frustrated that they're they're not willing to um, to put up an argument. All that said, and I've made note of this in the column, um, bet against them long term at your own risk because this is the fourth time in ten seasons that Kentucky has lost two games before December 9th under John Calipari, and two of the previous three times they ended up going to the Final Four anyway. 2010, 2011, they lost two games before December 9th. They still made the Final Four. 2013, 2014, lost multiple games before December 9th. Advanced all the way to the national championship game. The only time when it went the wrong way on them after losing multiple games before December 9th, that was 2012, 2013. They went to the NIT, famously lost to Bob Morris. But keep in mind, because this always just gets glossed over, they were 17-6 and six overall, 8-2 and two in the SEC. 16th at Ken Palm, and on a five-game winning streak when Nerland's Noel tore his ACL. So they were headed for a good finish in that season, too. Just the best player suffered a season-ending injury, and I don't think that gets discussed enough. Every, every, you know, I had a Kentucky fan actually say, 
this feels like the NIT year. Well, maybe if Kelvin Johnson tears his ACL, but you know that, that, that was not an NIT team that John had after the national championship team. That was a legitimate top 20 team whose best player like tore his ACL, and then it just spiraled, and then they ended up in the NIT. But that wasn't an NIT team, and I don't think this is going to be anything close to an NIT team unless it suffers a similar devastating injury or something like that. I don't think that's going to happen. I, yeah, exactly. It would have to be. Um, it would have to be some kind of injury, but I just don't think that that's going to be the case. Um, can we touch on Kansas real quick, GP? Yeah, you know, so New Mexico State gave them a scare on Saturday night. Another fun game. The Jayhawks were down at the half. They were down with less than five minutes to play. But then Diedrich Lawson ends up scoring Kansas' final 14 points, and they end up winning 63-60. Now, um, I do think it's worth pointing out, Chris Jans' New Mexico State team is pretty good. They're 7-2, and two, um, top 80 at Ken Palm. They beat New Mexico by 35 points uh, last Tuesday. But they were also 15-point underdogs to Kansas in Kansas City. So this was way closer than it should have been, and perhaps a sign that life without Yudoka Azabuki – um, isn't going to be simple because Kansas wasn't sharp in its first game without Yudoka Azabuki. And as you pointed out earlier in the podcast, they are undefeated with, with you know, two wins over top 10 teams, but they have not been consistently just overwhelming. They just haven't taken an L yet. They haven't taken an L. And I'm not going to... You know, I'm not going to break a sweat here trying to uh, trying to analyze and and just just rip apart Kansas because that's not what this is about. They it is a credit to Bill Self's coaching that uh, without D'Souza, you know, who knows if they even get him. Period. And you know, Self thinks that we're going to get something in December, so we wait and see if that's going to happen. Uh, and without Doak, you know, still undefeated, and they even like the the one bid conference teams they've played are are good within their league, like Vermont, Louisiana, Wofford. Still quality teams. Shout out to the random Twitter user. I don't have your name uh, next to me, but someone pointed out to us, Parrish. It probably won't happen at the end of the year, but right now, that Wofford, that's a quad one win. It's a quad one win for UNC right now. I never I never said it wouldn't be a quad one win in December. I said it won't end up being a quad I one know, win. I know, if but, I know. And if I'm wrong, I will I will happily admit that I was wrong. Uh, shout out to uh, to that person. I'm so sorry I don't have your name next to, to uh, in front of me right now, but I, I did get – I just got a chuckle out of that because we have, we have many miles to travel with that, but that was – but regardless, Kansas has the win over Wofford, and they won, uh, they won handily. And then, yeah, New Mexico State's a good team, but – if Kansas is going to hit its full potential, and, and even if they don't get to Sousa back and Doak gets back in the lineup and you just get more out of this team outside of Diedrich Lawson, then, yeah, it's going to be scary good. And I think I think the best team in America, which is what I thought it would be in the preseason, like Diedrich has been quality in most of the games they played. And even in some of the games where he's had a good stat line and it hasn't even been at the level that he wants to be at, he's been everything. Because LeGerald Le- Vick, who was hot and as responsible as, as Diedrich, on a three four game stretch, well he uh, he like missed he was like late to a practice or late to show up to a game last week, um, so he didn't even start. And then uh, minutes restricted again over the weekend. Kansas has still been able to win, and Quentin Grimes isn't on the train yet, and Devin Dotson is a little bit up and down, and Charlie Moore's been good, but you know what? Not nearly as good as maybe people were thinking that he would be. So with Kansas, I'm impressed that it's still eight zero with a tough schedule. Now it gets to sit a week. I presume the kids have finals this week, and then they get Villanova at home uh, on Saturday, six days from when we're recording this podcast. I think that'll be an interesting one to watch. But overall, you see how 
the Jayhawks have been able to win in spite of just not – they just haven't been what we thought they'd be yet. So it's it's a bit scary if they do wind up getting it all to click here if they're just getting all you know most of the rust and the dirt out of the way now. Like, Diedrich, I don't think, has played well consistently, and yet he's still averaging 19.1 points, 10.6 rebounds, 2.9 assists per game. Um, in 32.5 minutes per game, for whatever it's worth, the Ken Palm Player of the Year ratings have him in second right now. Ethan Happ at Wisconsin, who's leading his team in points, rebounds, and assists, um, is number one. And Diedrich Lawson is number two. So, like, when he really starts playing well consistently, like, watch out. Because even – and this is what makes him a special college basketball player. Even when he doesn't play well, you look up and he's got, like, you know, 17 points, 12 rebounds. When he does play well, it's like 25 points, 15 rebounds. But even when he's not playing well, that box score gets filled up one way or another. Yeah, he is uh, He is a volume player. And this goes back to when he was at Memphis. He, uh, he's not exceedingly efficient. And I actually think, and we'll get, I, we'll get into this like after the season, but just a quick note on this. I actually think that it will cost him in terms of uh, where he lands in the NBA and where he gets picked if he gets picked because he, he gets numbers, good player, but he's not efficient. And I, I think more and more front offices care about that kind of stuff. And he just needs more touches than the than the average big man. And uh, he's able to clean up around the tin. But uh, he uh, he's a very good college player. But I think in the eyes of NBA scouts right now, he is just not where he potentially should be given his size and his skill set. But what Kansas has need out of, needed out of him, they've gotten to this point. And yes, Jayhawks, uh, they will be number one. They, well, I mean, they'll be number one with you, and they should be number one in all the polls uh, when we hit on Monday morning. As far as Diedrich in the NBA, um, if he's going to have a job in that league, it's going to be as a stretch four, um, and he's shooting fifteen point four percent from three point range. Like you, you, you were hoping that you know he would he would be able to to show consistently that he can make that shot, um, you know, because that's what it's going to take for him to 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 be picked into that league and hold a job in that league and you know obviously Kansas doesn't use him out there too much um but he, you know but he is in pick and pop situations and he made one late against New Mexico State um but he's shooting 15.4% from three point range uh through the first eight games of the season that's obviously not great you mentioned uh shouting out uh, a podcast listener who who um you know pointed out that right now the win at Wofford uh, for North Carolina as a quad one win. How about this for a, a, a podcast listener shout out? So there's a guy named Brian listens to the Island College Basketball Podcast. And because they listen to the Island College Basketball Podcast, Brian, who doesn't live, I think lives maybe in Iowa, like started listening to my <laughs> okay. radio show in Memphis. Just because, you know, he was like, I'll start listening. The guy's got a radio show. I'll listen to his radio show in Memphis. Then just because he listens to my radio show so often in Memphis, he gets interested in the Grizzlies and the Tigers and Memphis in general. So him and his buddies are coming and decided they wanted to take a trip to Memphis. They're coming to Memphis this, this upcoming weekend. That's really cute that you've got a couple of stalkers. Shout out to them. We were, I know you. <laughs> They're not stalkers. They're, uh, how about this? So his buddies are from New York, and they're Carmelo Anthony fans. So they decided to come this upcoming weekend because the, um, it's Memphis against Tennessee at 11 a.m. at FedEx Forum, which is going to be great. I mean, I think Tennessee might roll them, but it'll still be a fun environment. And then that night, it's the Rockets against the Grizzlies. They're big Mellow fans, so they decided to come this weekend so that they could see Mellow, who, of course, got released by the Rockets, so he's not even on the team anymore. Uh, are you going to take these dudes out for a nice dinner in Memphis or what? Well, how's this going uh, on? 
I um, I'm gonna try to meet him at least. Certainly, I, I mean, I'd be a jerk not to, wouldn't I? That'd be nice. No, well, yeah, unquestionably. So I'm glad to see that that's happening, and we encourage uh, all this interaction from our listenership. And by the way, listen, I think we 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 talked about this on the podcast prior. I think it's only fair that we update a certain situation here. So we wanted to do a live podcast, but. And I'll let Parrish explain. The Chicago ones, CBS, CBS Sports Classic, will both be there for the games. But a wrinkle with GP schedule means that we're not going to be able to do it in this December. We still want, and I, th- I think we're still going to be doing one at some point later this season, if not multiple times and uh, locations to be determined. But I have had a few inquiries on and offline about this. And uh, just so, just as a heads up for people, maybe we're baking it in. Because I actually had someone reach out who's traveling in, wanted to know, and I had to clarify for them what the uh, what the deal is. Yeah, so a couple of weeks ago, I get a uh, text from email from my boss at CBS Sports Network wanting to know if I could do sideline on the Middle Tennessee Ole Miss game on December 21st in Nashville at Bridgestone Arena. And so I said, of course, but that'll mean I'm going to have to change a flight and all sorts of things because you and I were both planning to fly to Chicago. I guess you probably still are on that Thursday before the Saturday game. Um, And so I had already booked my flight. I was flying to Chicago on Thursday. Well, now I've got to fly to Nashville on Thursday. I'll be in Nashville Thursday afternoon, then uh, Friday game is Friday night and then I'm going to take a 6 a.m. flight from Nashville to Chicago to be in Chicago for the CBS Sports Classic and then we're out on Sunday headed back home because it's December 23rd like I got kids we got to get home and be uh, doing Christmas stuff right so uh, yeah I'm, I'm going to be in Chicago I think like 30 hours total uh, and and so it just we were planning to do the in-person live podcast on that Friday and on that Friday, I'm going to be in Nashville, Tennessee. Yeah, so we appreciate the listeners uh, kind of keeping us, keeping keeping up with us on that, and we will uh, we'll let you know. And in the logistics of this, like we'll figure it out later in the season. I am looking forward to trying this I, venue to be determined. I, I don't know, but uh, it is regardless. It is appreciated uh, with you guys, and you know, subscribing and being interactive. We 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 cherish the fact that you are this dedicated to the pod. So thank you. Just one more uh, thing from the weekend I wanted to point out. A couple of one-point games between currently unranked but still big-time college basketball programs. Indiana beat Louisville 68-67. Romeo Langford got 21 points. Syracuse beat Georgia uh, Georgetown uh, 72-71. Hoyas were actually up 13 at the break. Tyus Battle hits a pull-up jumper just inside the arc with 2.5 seconds left to lift the orange to the win. He finished with... 26 points needed 18 shots to get it but 26 points and the two biggest ones uh, in the final couple of seconds any thoughts on either one of those games uh well the Syracuse one was interesting because on Saturday as I'm watching the games and frankly was at the ready to uh, to write about whatever needed to be uh but thankfully you and uh, Kyle Boone picked up some of the slack there and then I uh I took charge on the uh Gonzaga Tennessee duties uh so my wife has uh has cousins uh that live in Boston New York two of them actually went to Syracuse and so we're watch watch the uh, Syracuse Georgetown game. Uh, one of them who was very pessimistic about the the whole ordeal, uh, just the team, their chances of winning this game, especially after tra- you know trailing by 13 at halftime. So uh, sitting in a room with a couple of Syracuse grads as, as they were able to pull out a, a rivalry win at home over Georgetown. Um, that was uh, just one of those cool little experiences there. O'Shea Brissett is Syracuse's best player. Battle hit the shot. He's great. But I'm telling you, when I watch Syracuse and they're playing well, I would take 
take Brissett over anyone else on that team. Frank Howard can be so vital, and, and it was huge for Hughes that battle uh, came back. But uh, when Brissett plays well and, and makes the right decisions, man, he is a really, really fun player. For Georgetown, that's just a heartbreaker because they're only 7-2 and two at this point. I don't think they're going to be in the NCAA tournament, but that would have been mammoth considering their strength of schedule is going to hurt them uh, when it comes to at-large consideration if they're even in the picture overall. But a, a needed win for Qs, which – you know, it would have had a three losses, and the previous two came uh, at on a neutral floor, UConn and Oregon. Now, instead, you get the nice win at Ohio State uh, in the ACC Big Ten Challenge, and you're able to get this one. Only other thoughts on the Indiana game. It was a fun game. Um, and one thought is, like, Kentucky and Indiana aren't playing anymore. Like, it's just not happening. And fortunately, Indiana and uh, – uh, uh, Indiana and Louisville, unlike Indiana and Kentucky, uh, are willing to play and do it on on-campus sites. It was just a fun watch. Like geographically, it makes sense. Like it's not as much. It doesn't have as much widespread appeal. I get that, but this isn't a, a terrible substitute. And Indiana needs to get these kind of wins if it's going to be in the NCAA tournament and get a good seed. Louisville is still building. It's a good team, but Indiana's a better team. And uh, you know what? Romeo is. Uh, Romeo needs to work on his shooting a bit. But he uh, he made some nice plays there, and Jawan Morgan remains uh, important. And then Rob Finnessy, um, he d he picks his spots, but he has made a, a few nice plays in different in different games so far for the Hoosiers. So eight and two, you should have them in your rankings. That is a top twenty five team in my opinion. And now um, I don't know if we'll preview this on the Friday pod or not, but. It's just Indiana fans know that the Butler game on Saturday in the Crossroads Classic, like that's just going to be a slippery one. You know Butler's going to have the capability to knock you out in that kind of game. Butler seven and two. It's a quality team. Maybe it's in the NCAA tournament. So just get the Louisville win. They did. Um, that was a that was a fun game and what was a nice Saturday in college basketball. For the Indiana fans who have asked on Twitter, and there are a lot of you, um, Indiana was twenty seventh on Sunday morning. Like I was picking for that twenty sixth spot between. Indiana and Arizona. And I went with Arizona because at that point, Arizona was seven and two. Um, only losses were to teams I have in the top 10, Gonzaga and Auburn. And I knew that if Arizona then went on Sunday and won at Alabama, it would just, it, it would be the type of resume that I would want to have in. So I went ahead and went with Arizona because I knew it'd be easy. Either Arizona would win on Sunday. And I didn't just do it for this reason, but like this, this, this was a thing that I thought about. If Arizona wins on Sunday down at Alabama, then it makes perfect sense and it's easy to defend because the resume has been enhanced. And if Arizona goes and loses at Alabama, no problem. I can drop them out and then just move Indiana uh, right in. So, uh, Indiana will be, uh, in the top 25 and one on Monday morning. I promise they're Hoosiers. They're eight and two right now. Um, the one loss is a blowout loss to Duke. I don't hold that against them. Duke's going to do that to a lot of people. The other one, just a one-point loss on the road to Arkansas. Um, it's not a, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, it, it, it's not as great as it could be, considering Arkansas just lost at home to Western Kentucky. But still, it's just a one-point loss at Bud Walton Arena. You know, Arkansas's top 55 at Ken Palm, whatever. And you know, several Indiana fans have pointed this out. It is true. They've got four top 50 Ken Palm wins right now. Um, they beat Northwestern, they've beaten Penn State, they've beaten Louisville, and they beat the Marquette team that on Saturday afternoon uh, beat Wisconsin. They beat that Marquette team by 23 points. So the Hoosiers will be in the top 25 and one, and I imagine they'll also be in the AP poll um, on Monday afternoon. One last thing uh, before we get out of here. Nothing really great 
over the next couple of days. This is the time of the year where um, schools are, are conducting finals, and so the good schools, the you know the 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 ones in the in the power conferences, tend not to travel. Um, and so you don't really get much um, over the next couple of days. But on Tuesday, keep an eye on Villanova, Penn, at the Palestra. It could be interesting. Steve Donahue's Quakers, they're 8-2. and two. The only losses are to Kansas State and Oregon State. They beat Miami by 14 points last week. So that could be uh, competitive. And either way, it's a pretty interesting week and week plus three-game stretch uh, for Villanova. Um, you know, they, they have, they're better than they were when they lost back to back to Michigan firm. And they've got that neutral court win over Florida state. Um, they got a double digit win over temple, but the next three are pin on Tuesday at the palestra. Then they got to go to Lawrence to play top ranked Kansas on Saturday. And then they get the week off, but come back December 22nd, same day we'll be at the CBS sports classic and they're playing Connecticut on a neutral. So we'll know a lot more about Jay uh, Wright's team uh, after these next three games are done. Agreed. There is, uh, you're right, and keep an eye on that. Just because Villanova uh, just has been intriguing, one of the, the most interesting plot lines of the season. There is almost nothing before we podcast again uh, to the listeners who are curious. So we'll see what other what possible storylines bubble up between now and when we pot on Monday. Uh, sorry, sorry, on Wednesday. The only other one, like it's it, just Colorado has a road game at New Mexico on Tuesday night. Colorado is 7-1. and one. Its only loss is at San Diego, which isn't a bad team. The Pac-12 has been a major letdown. So just this is, you know, this is just trying to <laughs> to get water from a stone here. But if the Pac-12 is going to try and get two, three, four teams into the tournament, like just small stuff like that, like can Colorado steal one at New Mexico Tuesday night. If it doesn't, it's just the, the issue is going to be exacerbated for that league. And before we get out of here, I will say um, to, to pick up from what we talked about on the, on the, on the previous pod one, I did not make it to the end of the Nevada game on Friday night, Parish. I was exhausted. I couldn't, dude, I didn't make it the tip off. <laughs> it was, it was not good. Um, I did, I did make it the tip off, but it I was, I was just, it was not a good state. And then, and then last night, UCLA plays Notre Dame, and again, I'm on bottle duty. I watch some of it. I pass out. I do not on my son's life. I wake up, I want to say, like 15 seconds before Chris Wilkes hits the three to win it over Notre Dame. And I'm like, huh? Like, am I dreaming this, or did I actually just see what just happened there? So, shouts to uh, UCLA for getting a win at 7-2. and two. It needed that over a young Notre Dame team. So, that was my... Um, my late night baby feeding, uh, basketball watching experience. It's going to make for an, a quite interesting uh, upcoming couple of months here, is because I, I know that these uh, these kinds of results, combined with having to feed a, a child, are, are in my future, and it makes it uh, well, it makes it that much more interesting. Yeah, I watch most of Notre Dame UCLA. I watched enough to watch Bill Walton uh, tell the tell Digger Phelps that he thought he was dead. Yeah, I missed that. <laughs> Like I listen, Bill's Bill, and I actually find him incredibly enjoyable. I thought the way he treated Ben Hallen when Ben was at UCLA and he was doing UCLA games, I thought that was unfair and like like not cool. But whatever. It, it, with exception of that, I find him to be funny, like and interesting, and I I enjoy watching Bill Walton do basketball games because he's so um, all over the place. And the guys that he works with last night it was Roxy. It's usually Dave Pash. But they like they know how, especially Dave. They know how to work with him very well, and so the the combinations are are, are excellent. All that said, I don't know how funny it is to ask a cancer survivor who had to leave his job at ESPN because of a cancer diagnosis. 
I don't know how funny it is to talk about I thought you were dead, is it? Uh, no, uh, it's not. And I'm, I'm generally on Team Walton just because he adds a certain level of the surreal to broadcasts. And I, he does lean into it, I think, which has become a little bit of a caricature. But uh, no, and I did not hear this. I, I, I think I, I saw it jump across my Twitter feed uh, at some point on Sunday that it actually happened. But, but no, that was, uh, that's, that's clearly a little bit of a line too far. But as we wrap up this pod, because, hello, the Bears game is starting soon. Um, <laughs> uh, Walton does have a pretty, uh, a pretty polarizing audience. Like, uh, to me, I know, you know, like – I don't get it, but like I, I, I see nothing wrong with Joe Buck. I don't get why people hate Joe Buck calling football games or baseball games or whatever. I think Joe Buck's awesome at his job, and I think fans sometimes weirdly have these, uh, these views on so many play-by-play guys or, or, or color commentators. With Bill, I get it, and I actually think it's, it's there's very little middle ground. I think you'll actually find some people who will say, yeah, Joe Buck's fine. Like I, I got no issue with him, or or Chris Collinsworth's cool. Like whatever. But with Walton, like it really feels like no, you're in or you're out. I'm in. You're generally in but there he definitely has a lot of a lot of detractors the one thing I'll add to this is part of why I like him in this is that he he has been on the record about the fact that uh, he debated killing himself like he had such terrible back issues and went through such daily pain um, that it was it, it really came to a head I think we're talking about maybe a decade plus ago and so the fact that he is where he is at now and he is giving off this kind of like grateful dead sunny disposition it is a it is a story of personal triumph so I always put that in context context of who he is but regardless the Phelps stuff was clearly over the line and uh and not usual of what we hear from Bill on a call yeah and it's possible you know he doesn't it's you know sometimes people say things and they don't even realize the way it comes across um I, I'm sure I'm guilty of that at, at times so I, I don't think he was intentionally being uh whatever uh but it did just like it's one of those it was awkward you know he's talking to a guy who like really might have died from a cancer diagnosis. This is the reason he had to, I, if, I'm, if I'm remembering it correctly, it's the reason, or at least among the reasons why he had to leave his very prominent job with, with ESPN. Like he was on game day and you know, now, now he pops up at halftime or whenever they're having this conversation by phone. And it's like, and it, well, he didn't just say it once. Like, I thought you were dead. He like, he, he kept the way he tends to do going back to it and back to it and back to it. It, I, it it's not cause for protest. It, what like it just it felt awkward in the in the moment but generally speaking um I, you and I are on the same page i if you tell me bill walton's doing a game um i'm more interested in that game than i otherwise would have been because he he makes me laugh i think he's a funny guy and he's funny in that role shouts to Devin Downey, shouts to Chester, South Carolina, shouts to Terry MF and Teagle. He's the legend. Shouts to Larnell and uh please if you haven't done it already, go subscribe to the Ion College Basketball Podcast via Apple Podcasts. Quickest way to get the episodes uh, right into your phone, ASAP. So please do that. Rate it favorably. Five stars, nice comments. That is all I've ever asked from you. And uh, like I said, uh, we're going to talk to you again on Wednesday morning, I promise. Till then, take care.